Our good friends at Johnny-O welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnny-O clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnny-O style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnny-O ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 131. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. We all know that certain people are just built to handle various situations better than others. And Carrie Potts is another example of this. After serving as a writer and editor for the NCAA, she would join ESPN in 2003 as a senior publicist and currently serves as senior director of communications, helping publicize various entities ranging from the likes of the NFL and NBA to ESPN Films and the award-winning 30 for 30 series, their award show, The ESPYs, and the launching of ESPNW, ESPN's first dedicated women's business, and she even helped with the launch of both the SEC Network and the ACC Network. Now, while earning an undergraduate and master's degree from Syracuse University, Carrie also served as co-captain for the volleyball team. Being named a first-team academic All-American, she earned the Soliday Award given annually to Syracuse's top male and female student-athlete, but it was a fateful night in Italy in 2008 where she escaped a violent rape attempt that truly showed exactly what she's built for, serving now as a sexual assault victim's advocate and crisis counselor, and is also president of the board for Pathways to Safety International, the only U.S. nonprofit organization serving Americans who have been sexually assaulted or abused abroad. And her website, afightbackwoman.com, not only sums up the type of woman that she is, but it's also a resource for counseling on issues of sexual and interpersonal violence. Here's episode 131 with Carrie Potts. Carrie, thank you for letting me harass you. And at least now I see you've, I guess, fully recovered from your injury last time I saw you. I, I'm having my struggles. Uh, that that injury, wh- which one was that? My shoulder? Yes. Oh, no. I just got the MRI back on that, and uh, I, I need partial replacement. That's not a good thing no, to hear. No, my third surgery. I've had two failed slep repairs. Yes. And that, when you saw me, I had just gotten the injection of plasma to try to, like, alleviate Start the, the pain. And it, did, it was so awful that they sent me for an MRI, and they were like, yeah, you're torn here, here, and these other four places. So, I just got that MRI last week, and so I've just been trying to figure out what to do. That's a great way to start 2020. Well, it's a great way to talk about sports. (laughs) Yes, it is. Let's talk about how great sports are for your body. Well, I know that that world because in medical device sales, I mean, I've sold shoulder implants. I've sold sold spine implants as well. Well, I say, donate me to science. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're ready. Yeah, no, like, my scholarship to Syracuse was not free. You know, yeah, you're paying I, the price now, I, right? I said, okay, so I, there's no debt technically, but let's talk about my the body. wear and tear yeah, on 11 your body. Surgeries, like, when is there a good time okay, to replace 11, sur- oh, 11. 11 yeah. surgeries? All right, yeah. well, walk me through the various surgeries ankle, two on the knee, the left wrist, um, two on the shoulder. Um, I had a jaw and then there was a sinus. It was a whole thing. But, um, yeah, it's pretty much every part except for my right knee and my left shoulder. And all through sports? Yeah, it's just wear and tear. Yeah. You know, sometimes your body's built different. I, I'm very solid. And so soft tissue injuries, like just the wear and tear on it is is what I deal with. Yeah, it's Other, overuse. It's right. Repetitive. Other people are very light in the bones and they deal with like stress fractures and stuff like that. Like, no, I'm... You're solid there. Oh, I am like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm built like a brick house. But uh, for that reason, now it's all catching up with me, especially as you get older. You know, things start to deteriorate and... Um, but this is a really exciting way to start a conversation about sports. But it's the thing is, it's real. It is real. I'm real about it. I, I am not going to gloss over. <laughs> I am on the backside of the greatness of sports. And I can tell you, it's been a rough go. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, having so all sorts you, of problems. <laughs> were you a weekend warrior in terms no. of playing oh, sports no, 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 continuously? No. no. After my last surgery, my first sh- shoulder surgery was in, when I was living in Manhattan. I was trying to play dodgeball in a dodgeball league. We were pretty – yeah, it was a pretty like – we were pretty vicious. And I noticed when I tried to throw the ball, my ability to like snap my arm was off. It's like it wasn't moving as fast as my brain was. And that's why you know you have a labor – like a slap tear. Your labrum – I had a, a reverse bankert, which is on the back end. And the one of the key indicators is when uh, – you throw behind you and your arm just won't go as fast yeah, it won't forward. Go forward. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, the doctor and your said, brain what brought is you telling here? you, yeah. go forward. I was arm. like, I should nail this guy. And I would miss them. <laughs> I kept missing them because like I had a hitch in my giddy up basically. And the doctor said, what brought you here? And I'm like, actually recreational dodgeball is what did it. <laughs> um, and that's what started the whole, you know, thing. Yeah, And um, it seems that way because I'm a basketball guy, so yeah. I continued to play basketball even after I tried to walk on at Clemson, which that yeah. was a humbling experience realizing, sure. oh, you're not as good as you think you are. Yeah, or I think everyone goes through that probably. You definitely do. At some level. But I continue to play you know, in the Y leagues, church leagues, mm-hmm. all of that, you know, even into my 40s. But I took an elbow in the front teeth, knocked my two front teeth out, and I was like, well, that might be the end of my – Playing days, yeah. well, you know, because is it is it worth it? I love it though. Well, everyone gets that point in a different way. I know a man who's brilliant, who is um, big executive at like Goldman Sachs, and he gave up his um, football career at Cornell. It was great, but he had gotten two or three concussions, and he's like, "My brain is my asset," and you know, I- I'm gonna have to walk away. We all reach our different points. You do. My point was being 30 and going, I can hardly put a seatbelt on or use my arm above my head. And when the doctor said you won't be able to play volleyball anymore, I'm like, "That's cool." Um, the problem is it's just can't seem to fix. I'm not, I haven't played a sport. I mean, I'm, I'm reduced to like gentle yoga and walking at this point. That's all I do. And, and it's got to be so frustrating that you very, can't do everything it, that you want. I am like the tin man at this point. <laughs> my friends are I, – I annoy myself. I, I Half the time I don't even tell my friends. I'll just be like, yeah, just send some food to the house. Oh, you're having another surgery? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I'll just be – just a common yeah, thing just now. Send some, <laughs> just send some food. I don't even – yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. So. All right, so <laughs> – Back to sports. <laughs> well, back to your involvement in sports. Yeah. And so has sports always been this thing in your life? 
I think physical activity, a preference for that, using my body gave me a lot of joy. Um, and uh, I don't want anyone to twist that. But I, 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 that's a very, you know, let's, we're adults here. Like that's that, right. is, that is what I like to say. Using my body gave me joy as a child, like a baby. I used to climb over the fence in the backyard and like go off in the woods when I was two. I had this ridiculous upper body strength. I was a combat crawler before I was a regular crawler. Yeah, so you started crawling yeah, out so on your Yeah, so combat crawler, you're just dragging your upper yes. body everywhere. And I would drag myself up over the fence. My mother came out one day and was horrified because we just have a woods, a greenbelt area. And I was at an age where I wasn't even speaking complete sentences and I'm dragging myself up over four or five foot fences going in the woods, winding up later. In the, I mean, just heart attack city. So they put me in acrobats, uh, acrobatics because they were like, Oh, she's, she's so active. Yeah. We got to get her. Yes. She's climbing. She's so else. strong. And that's, that was the start of everything. You know, I, I got in that. And then, you know, what that does, I always say, get your kids in gymnastics early, boys and girls. It teaches you how to control your body muscles and have like a sense for your your, how to use your space and which muscle to isolate. You get to know your body well. Just get out of it before it destroys your body. And I stayed in it, I think, too long because I was going through growth spurts and then I'm pounding on the beam, my knees, and growing another eight inches. And so then now pounding. into gymnastics, yeah, competitive so gymnastics? I, stayed in, I was in gymnastics till I was 12. I was competitive, yeah. And uh, I, had, I was five foot ten. At the time I was 11, so I was the biggest gymnast you ever saw. I made the most noise on every apparatus. My feet were like a grapple hook around the beam because they were too big. It was like I, the way I walked on the beam was sort of like a like an orangutan, you know. Instead of gymnasts, with they're so small, you see their feet the fit inside. Feet. Yeah, they, they could walk there like they're walking down the street on a beam. And uh, so you had to work extra hard. Oh, extra hard and. Uh, And it was just everything took so much longer for my body to rotate around and the apparatus would groan. And it was just (laughs) obvious, you know. Yeah. And then I tore my wrist. uh, And I'm sure it was, you know, a lot of a lot of that. But uh, and then I spent two or three years trying to figure out what I'm good at, like what I wanted to be good at. I knew I was going to play a sport. I just didn't know. Um, I just cleaned out some old uh, records from like junior high. And I have my certificate from field hockey basketball, cheerleading, uh, volleyball. And volleyball was the one that stuck. But yeah, I was kind of like, list, I was kind of a, a yeah, rudderless ship. Something. Yeah, I was just out there, unmoored on so the ocean. So when you found <laughs> volleyball, was it It's a good story. that you like, ah, that's the one? Uh, you know what? Actually, not right away, but, but, but the funny part with volleyball is I, because I was such a perfectionist, because when you're a gymnast, you do your routines by yourself and you are told stop and start over if you if you mess up right and there no one's watching you because that's not how gymnastics works you have one coach he's working with different people on skills one at a time you're off on the side so it's about accountability to yourself so being a perfectionist you can't lie to yourself you know you could i guess you could but then you're not a good you don't get good at gymnast right right being a good gymnast so uh that discipline and that knowledge of your body and just like this is not i have to be good that like it perfect uh so i get to volleyball tryouts and I remember the coach was telling us to serve, and she said, just hit it over the net and get it anywhere than that big white box, you know, the white lines. And all the girls are doing this, like, underhand thing, you know. But I had seen the boys earlier, and so I hit it overhand. Overhand, sir. And I hit it into the opposite wall of the gym, like, up about 20 feet, boom, off the opposite wall. Boom. I couldn't control my strength yet. I didn't have, like, finesse. And I was like 
getting embarrassed because I'm going, I'm not getting it in the white box. Like I'm, I'm sending it sailing. And I looked, I was all flustered and I looked at my coach Cheryl and I said, I'm so sorry. And she's like, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Because you had natural power, right. didn't you? So because she could see, holy cow, that look how strong look she is. And I'm going, but I didn't get it in the white box. I I didn't do what she told me to. I'm going to get cut. Yeah, because you're a perfectionist. Right. And you're I didn't understand right. what what you look for. I, you know, I just thought I'm failing at this terribly. All the other girls seem to be getting it in, you know. And uh, from that point on, she really took me under her wing. And I just fell in love with it. Yeah, you just needed some molding. Yep. Right? Get yes. some training. Yes. And understand that. And yeah. from then, though, did you start at that point once you started realizing, okay, I can be good, I'm yeah. getting better? I accelerated quickly. You did. I'm a good athlete. I, I'm naturally gifted in athletics. Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not a huge high jumper, uh, but I'm strong, very strong, and consistent because of the discipline. I always try to beat people by, you know, teams or their players by anticipation, and that was studying tape. You know, anticipation, kind of understanding. That's how I made up for uh, the fact I couldn't jump out of the gym, you know, and reducing error. So it would be really hard to keep me off the court that, you know, I could contribute. And uh, so that was always like my – that's that's kind of actually my approach to everything. Uh, Even today. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not the brightest star in the sky. I'm not the best – you know, but I'll, I'll, I'll cover for whatever. I'll – over excel in one area and, and try to, you know, close the gap. Through preparation, yeah. through hard work. Preparation and work and, and, and work ethic and study. So so with volleyball it became just a love. I would watch film of the Cubans were really good at the time. China. China and Japan were more of uh, defensive oriented. They would get so low to the ground they could get any ball up. So you would see the, the Cubans jumping, I don't know, forty there's this one woman who would jump forty inches, forty four inches. She was amazing. And the Americans jumping out of the gym and not one ball would hit the ground. There would be a woman under it, like with with you know six inches to the floor, and I would just study them and think, where can I fit in that scenario? <laughs> I'm not going to ever get that low. I'll never jump that high. And oh, I would. There's got to be a place for you. Yeah, but I would just. I fell in love with all aspects. I'd read about it. I followed all the teams. I would end my matches. So I started, you know, junior high and then club and then you know, freshman on varsity and, you know, all that stuff and became like the one everyone knew in Long Island. I was the best player there and um, just getting invited to a lot of things. And I just was in love with it. And then was the drive, you love it, but now I, I've got to play college. I, oh, I was th- doing this play was... college. It was like the thing when I was, oh, I think it was like the 10th grade. I was like, it was just a matter of which one. Of which school? Yeah. Yeah. Because the coaches start, you know, sending you Hey, you know, and it was weird. You know, you'd get, um, gosh, I remember I got one from Pittsburgh and the coach at the time had been an Olympian that I remember watching. And so I was so excited. She'd oh, handwritten had on it and I had it on my wall, even though I had no desire to go to Pittsburgh. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, hey, the recruiting's really, it's cool, you know. Um, so yeah, it just was like the best it's one of my best memories. I, I don't regret it at all. So what I'm going through now, I don't regret. Yeah, when you say cool from the recruiting standpoint, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean cool? Well, to, Other than the fact, yes, it's nice to be to hear from all these people schools. that want you. Well, and also to have another option. I was a really good student. I was on the whole AP circuit. And our public schools in Long Island are excellent because we all our taxes are very high and uh, ridiculous. But nobody's going to private school there. Our schools are great, and so um, you know I'm in four or five AP classes. My friends are in six, seven, and eight. You know I got off the the, the physics and the chem train. I was like, oh, that's Ooh, a different that's no part. Of, yeah, that's a different part of my brain. <laughs> I'm going to stick to Western Civ, U.S. history, you know, psychology, all that. 
And they're all sweating. I'm going to Williams. Am I going to Amherst? Am I going to get to MIT? And I'm like, I'm going, oh, I have a whole other option here. I don't have to play that game. I can actually look at there's other school like you know it it was it just gave me another way did it open up a whole it did. new yeah arena it made me think of places i never heard of cuz when you're in that northeast thing you're only looking in that corridor you're looking at all like the the northeast liberal arts schools you're looking how you know and then you get a letter from i don't know Campbell University you're like <laughs> oh my gosh i could go to school for free down there you know and it was kind of nice. it just took the pressure off and it was fun for me to kind of look up teams and think oh what if i live there you know um and yeah so i i i enjoyed the whole process my first visit was oklahoma right wow yeah my first recruiting trip was oklahoma I, i'm a new yorker a long island girl in oklahoma i was like the only thing going on that day everyone thought i was fascinating <laughs> like i was like a shiny penny no matter where i went say this again say they'd hold up objects they wanted you to keep talking yeah, say this say car say you know whatever um i saw my first armadillo on that recruiting trip i'd never seen you know just thought oh and then and then i got into um illinois was the second school um i was looking at new mexico and Indiana and Michigan. Yes. So you were going. You I wanted were to get out of New York. Your horizon. Yes. You wanted to get out of New York, and that's what sports did. I I would never mm-hmm. have no one in Long Island would be sitting here going, you know, you should look at Oklahoma. You know, you because I was saying I'm, I'll be good wherever I go as a student. That's not mm-hmm. a problem. I'll be successful. Like I'm not gonna. Okay, so now I can look at these great. Now I can add a life experience to it. You, know, you can get off this rat race of. How great is your, you know, what did, what did you get on that paper? What did you get on that? You know, I think I knew, like, that wasn't my thing. That wasn't your pathway. No, I, I could, but I just, it, no. I, I, if it, it didn't had energize been, you. No, I would have been in those awful physics AP chem classes, hating life, and I didn't want to do that. So, um, yeah, so it was exciting for me. That's what recruiting was for me. It was exciting to read about schools. I was so into it and, and reading about the teams. Uh, oh, I even reached out to UC Irvine. The anteaters. I was like, "This is amazing!" Like the whole process was so exciting to me. Uh, Houston. And what like, were your parents thinking this whole time? Oh, they were so supportive. I think they, you know, my dad. My dad was a good athlete. That's where I got it from. I was going to ask you, and but his mom wouldn't let him play baseball, which was his sport because he got his front teeth knocked out, which is funny. There you go. And the dangers of sports. And he so hated that. You know, he he would he thought I could have been a professional athlete. I think he has a lot of that regret. So he was really come watch me play. But he wasn't like a crazy dad. But he would just come and watch me play, and we'd have these great long drives to my tournaments, and uh, they were so supportive. So, um, so you guys were able to bond over sports. Yeah, we as well? totally were. Especially my dad. Like he got to kind of live that part of his life. I think that he would have loved to, um, but not in like a creepy weird way. And he. Um, he was like my recruiting director. Like he'd keep my files for me because I couldn't keep it straight. You know, like what I had to do and what, who I had to call and who called me when. And but in that year, uh, it, my dad worked in computers uh, for like a Japanese company, and there was the uh, their economy crashed and uh, it went under and like whatever. And all of a sudden, he was unemployed. Now my mom is a teacher, and they are well compensated in Long Island. I mean, it's a great the benefits and all that. So we were okay, but I had a sister in college that they were paying for in Indiana, so out of state. And all of a sudden, you know, this thought that maybe I could go try a school out, even if they didn't give me a scholarship as a walk on, and earn my way. You know, I yeah, dried you still up. wanted to go out. Yeah, of course it, it did. Yeah, and then you know, in the recruiting process, you're sitting there waiting. So you, I know I'm Oklahoma's number two. They're waiting here on their number one. And now the other one's dried up because I'm waiting, you know. And 
it put the pressure, the screws to me real quick. And, uh, and, and then, and Syracuse came along like, at the high school championships. And I just went on a whim because my mother heard me say, oh, well, I want to be a journalist. I don't, I don't, I, I had re- no idea Syracuse. <laughs> None. I was not looking to you stay in New York. didn't know that they were one of the most renowned I didn't want to stay schools. in New York. Who goes from Long Island to upstate New York? When you have all these, when you have New Mexico, when you have, you have all these other options. When I'm so truly right. get an experience. So I never was looking at a journalist. I'll be fine wherever I go. Oklahoma had a program. Indiana had a good program. Like these are, they're all decent. No, I was all of a sudden I'm up in Syracuse, and they're like, "Well, we'll give you books. You'll be our top recruit." And and I just saw how excited my parents were and my dad, and I didn't hate it. I just, I just felt like let's take the pressure off. It was too stressful for me. I was worried that if I said no to them and then everything fell through, now my father's going to feel worse because I can't go play at the place I want. And, you know, with all the things we talked about and uh, I saw the relief on their faces when I accepted. Um, And, yeah, it wasn't my dream to go there. And to play against all the gals I'd been playing my entire club career. Yeah, because it's a circuit. My I mean, teammate, you know, my own teammate the... from club went to Syracuse. We we both signed there. All right. Another one went to Boston College. One went to Seton Hall. So I was like, I'll see you guys next year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know, you want to go and reinvent yourself. You want to go and reinvent yourself as a player. You know, you you're a certain way when you're in a t- each team. You take on a certain role, right? And the opportunity to go to college, opportunity to go to a new team is to take on a different role. And uh, so that and was a that's the, the part. same way with college. Yes. From high school right. to college, even if you don't play, yeah, you it's want, an opportunity the to idea reinvent to go out yourself. In the middle of nowhere and be just from Long Island and be whatever I wanted to be, not, not a book nerd, not all the things that, you know, kind of travel with you when you're I just yeah so, so you were a book nerd also yeah well yeah you know yeah I love An poetry book nerd. I love poetry I used to write and I still collect rare and used books from like um kind of the romantics and John Donne and Edmund Spencer and I was trying to learn how to read middle English because I love the fairy queen and oh I love poetry E.E. E. Cummings and th- those are all the things I would spend my time reading I I was not interested in parties or any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, I thought, well, maybe I, I'll be cooler <laughs> when I go to college. <laughs> That's right. But, I can be the popular one. Yeah, yeah. Sports lets you be popular without having to try too hard. You know, that, That's the thing. It also gave me that, like, as long as you're good at your sport and a decent person, you, you can – Still, yeah, you become known. Yeah, you can stay in that. Like, I'm in the game, but I'm not trying to lead the pack. I'm not the party queen. I'm not dating the most people. Like, all the stuff that goes on in high school. It's just everyone's jockeying for, like, who am I? What am I? And and sport gave me the, oh, I'm good at this. Everyone knows that. Leave me alone. Yes. It eliminates some drama, though, it too. It really did. It, it gave me an excuse. I didn't have to go to a lot of those parties. You know, the whole, uh, was yeah, it oh, spin the a, bottle? Got a match. Spin, Next day, all I can't do that. The, oh, yeah. she smooched him in the closet. And I was like, I was in Las Vegas playing in a tournament. I'm sorry. I missed that. Sounds amazing. Yeah. But so sorry. I didn't. Well, do you feel that you missed out on some of that, though? Uh, you know what? It, it It's what I, I didn't want that. I, I can't say I missed out on something. There was a reason I didn't want to be around that. And I think I I always tell people sports were a few things. I always – yes, I love movement. I love – I mow the lawn. I even rake my own leaves now. I I like physical activity. 
you know, people think I'm crazy raking my leaves. And I'm like, I only have a tenth of an acre. Like, how ridiculous <laughs> could I be to hire someone to rake, like, a tenth of an acre? But um, the other thing was because I was so big, and I just mean big, I was a big kid. Yeah, like, well, you were big. tall. I was tall, Five, but I was also, like, age. Rawr. like, I was okay. just, like, a big kid. Like, big boned, you name it, a big hair. And, <laughs> yeah, and I got placed with the boys, Mr. Ketchum. I love it. Mr. Ketchum was a Title IX gym teacher. He said, you're too good to be with the girls, and you're not being challenged. You've got to go do the presidential fitness exam on the boy level. And he also picked my best friend, Laura, Laura Muller. And we were doing the boy pull-ups. We had to do their number of pull-ups and their, their one-mile run. And, and um, Now, did you appreciate that at the time? Oh, I did because the – yes, because I was good. And I'm like, why am I sitting here with these girls? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, this but, competitive nature yeah, came out, but, right? Now, here's the thing. Boys don't love that. No, they do not. They don't love that. <laughs> Especially when you start out doing it. Yeah, them. so they, they would try to beat me up. Like, we get in fist fights. Like, like it's, if it's rough in Long Island, um, they're not exactly – they're not Southern polite, you know, boys. And uh, they would try to jump me, you know. Uh, you know, we'd play mercy or you – bend your fingers and all that. And, and I would just destroy them. And yeah, it, our, our recess teacher told my parents, I, 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 you know, I could jump in, but she's killing them. They're learning that she's like, she's not getting hurt. They're getting a valuable lesson here that they should leave her alone, That's you right. know? And the thing is about the boys are at the same time, whenever they had to pick a team for kickball or dodgeball, they fought over who got me because they knew oh, they, they don't want to lose. That's right. They may not want me to hang around. They were not trying to make me their girlfriend, but they were like, oh, I don't want to lose. She's At the end on of the day, team. it comes down to wins and losses. Right. So that kind of my dynamics with boys from that point on was kind of more like they're kind of adversarial, kind of I don't really trust them so much. You know, mm-hmm. you just – they didn't react to me the way they did. The girls that were not good at sports, that were into things that we, you know, tell little girls that they should be good at. And uh, so when it got to high school and all that nonsense starts up, I, I still thought they were dumb. And I was like, they're <laughs> well, so dumb. Well, still are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. Even I'm like – so it wasn't a hard decision. So I'm like, the kid is so – like, he's dumb. Like, why would I – you know, and – I don't know. It's just I would look at them differently, I think. I think that's what sport made me do, look at them differently. Now, did you view yourself <laughs> as a tomboy, though? Yeah, everyone said that. Um, totally. If you saw pictures of me. Um, but, I mean, I, I was kind of that, that hybrid. I loved uh, dance, and and I had crushes. I had Kirk Cameron on my wall, and I also had a fight. I had F-14 Tomcats because I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I was looking at the Naval Academy. My gra- my grandfather was the one that um, worked for the Navy, making sure the specs for those planes coming off the line, like he did the blueprints on on the technical specs, make sure it met the standards. He was an That's engineer. a very important job. Yes, it was. And he had all every model of every plane he approved and worked on in his bedroom. I remember growing up, every there was like f- maybe 15 of the Naval um, planes, and I have the I have the F-15 in my, uh, with me. I mean, he passed when I was very young. But um, so I was kind of interested in that. I was interested in, you know, I, I went and mowed the lawn to make money. You know, uh, that's how I did it. Other girls. I did that. Right. But, I but, girls, but not a lot of girls. No, right? definitely did not. So, yeah, I, it, it made me live in a different space. And so I think high school was different for me for, because of that. Yeah, I, I think life was. right now still is different for me because of that. Because of those early yeah, times. I think as a woman, right now you're starting to see, okay, those roles, those really rigid things are breaking that, and they should. 
I'm sorry. It's if long it's, overdue. Right. If it served women to, you know, not participate in sports and not do physical work and, you know, people valued the things we did do, then that wouldn't be the case. But uh, so I'm kind of like I span that that time period to now. And I'm and I'm glad it shaped me that way. You know, it's not anathema for me to, you know, crawl up on my roof last weekend and try to get the leaves out of the sunroof. Like, like what is going on up here? You know, I, it's I'm not looking for a, a man to come help. You know, I've had to kill a bug. Like, I'm going after that you thing. You can do with, it. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. So I think it was a gift. But at the time, it didn't feel that way. It just felt like I didn't fit. And when you talk about you being a perfectionist uh, yeah. early on— and hearing that, you probably got some of your athleticism from your dad. Yeah. But where did this perfectionism come mm. from? Other than, obviously, just some of your training yeah, well, in gymnastics, that, but there I had to be, be something innate that just led you to be more like that. I want to be really clear. Like, I, I, it definitely was to my detriment, you know. Um, oh, there's a balance, right? Yeah, no, I was not balanced on that. It, it was tied up in my self-worth. You know, making a mistake was such a, I mean, I'd be upset for days at myself. You know, I would self-punish, you know, I'd like, you, you don't deserve that. You're terrible. You know, that kind like of Like you thing. were telling yourself yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'd have this like inner dialogue. And um, I think it's because when you, when you are good at things, people reward you. And it, it kind of becomes a cycle of expectation. And if I do this, then that will happen. If I do this, they're happy. If I do this, my parents are happy. If I do this, my, my teachers are happy. My school's proud of me. If I do this, if I, if I don't do that, then, then I'm letting them down, then I'm, then I'm bad, you know. And I, I, I caution anyone. I was the worst in high school. If I, missed, if I missed one ball, you know, I would be under my breath, like, annihilating myself. And I remember my coach pulled me out of the game and was like, you have got to stop. Like, this is not healthy. No one wants to see you beat. You're allowed to make mistakes, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought making mistakes meant I was bad. Like, it was just this, it, it, it wasn't great. Um, but, did you hold yourself to a higher oh, level way, than you way, did yeah, other people? other people. I would sit there and say, hey, it's okay. You're human. And then I'd sit there and be yourself. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone, but people have this problem. Do we do yeah. that. Yes. And I honestly don't think I really let go of that until probably – my early 30s. Okay. So I was going to ask you, do you still battle that now? No, I'm with your a lot better. Role? I'm a lot better. And when we talk a little bit later on about probably some other life mm-hmm. things, that, that would be the kind of the point of which I realized I couldn't do that. The defining moment? Yeah. I couldn't do that anymore to myself. Now you're at Syracuse. Yeah. And it's not actually the place you wanted to be. Or the coach I wanted. Or the coach. And it was awful. He was, what was so awful? Well, he wasn't who I signed with. Oh, so it was a new coach. Yeah, he just showed so up. So you our, sign. Yeah, with this couple. And then they got the head job. They were interim. The previous coach had been ousted in like a bloodless coup. The team wouldn't play for him. He was sexually harassing all the girls. Oh, my goodness. He was wildly inappropriate. And uh, they just wouldn't play. They just sat down and that was it. They wouldn't show up for the matches. And that's how they got rid of him. You know, I, I love those girls. I'm, I, I'm still friends with them. They are such strong women. They said, this is you know, that's how you force, right there. That's how you force their hand. The administration, what are they going to do? So we had this interim coaches, and you know, I was their top recruit, and I really like them. They had both played Penn State, the the husband, which is a great team. They won the championship in '94, just the year before I graduated high school. And his wife was from Arizona State and had played great program, you know, Pac-10 at the time. And all of a sudden, I wind up with this guy Jing Pu. Uh, in the mid- late January, shows up on my door. Uh, he was the coach at Central Connecticut State. 
um, but very thick accent, really hard to understand and just not interested in knowing you personally or watching tape with you or connecting with you on any level. He would look at a chart. He would look at his clipboard and say, Putz, you, you know, didn't run as fast this week. And I'd say, okay. And, you know, that would be if I started or not. You're just ridiculous. It's like, yeah, no rhyme how, or reason. No, but, and how it's fast we ran or how high we jumped. Centric. Right. And yet, I'm like literally the emotional stability of our team. I'm the one people like Carrie's unflappable. You know, I'm not slamming the ball down like this girl here, like this one there, but I'm the one that's not going to like shank it 20 times. And then, you know, and those kinds of intangible things that I'm good at and people recognize he didn't. He didn't. So all of a sudden, like you said, you went to try to play at Clemson and yes. realized I'm on a team where I have a coach that doesn't believe in me at all. And that had never happened. And so it was really hard. Um, and that's when I kind of really dug into did my that, studies. And, well, did that also manifest itself in terms of some of your self-doubt that, or maybe not self-doubt, but how you'd beat yourself oh, up? Oh, it was hard. Yeah, it was really hard. But here's the thing I knew. I knew I was doing the things right. That's the thing. I wasn't making mistakes. I was doing everything right. So it was easy to well, say. it had to be even more challenging yeah, but, to but have to deal I with. Yeah, but I knew I was doing it right. So it's him. You know, like... I can understand if I was not trying. I wasn't, you know, I had a knee surgery. I rehabbed twice a day, every day for six months. I never missed a thing. Like, I'm totally coachable. I'm totally committed. My scholarship, I would never violate. I, I didn't have a fake ID. Like, I, I like all the things. I would never embarrass my family that way. I wouldn't, you know, I'm the one that's like the good kid, you know. And uh, I had an academic scholarship that helped us give our walk-on um, a scholarship so they didn't have to use the whole athletic one on me, you know, so I always kept my grades, you know, all that stuff and, and all that aside. But when it came to the court play, like it, it was just, it was heartbreaking. And, um, but I worked through that, you know, and then I finally wound up, it was impossible to keep me off the court, but, but, uh, it really helped me realize. Was he like, your coach the whole, the whole time? The whole time. It was awful. Um, but I realized, you know, I've kind of fell in love with my studies and, and I knew I had other things. I wasn't a one, one note or one flavor. Uh, so that's when I really started to fall in love with magazine writing and writing. I would pick up writing projects all around campus for the alumni magazine, the local newspaper, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it kind of helped me actually realize, like, you know, volleyball is really not in the bigger picture when you leave here. This is not going to be what you, you do. You have the pathway that you can Right. I, I wasn't alluded, uh, deluded by it. Now, imagine if I get there, I have great coaches. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to play in Europe. That's right. Yeah, maybe I'll go to the Olympic team. You know, <laughs> I didn't have any of that. You know, it was very clear that that end was ending was coming. Yeah. So. Well, I would say you definitely found your groove in academics. I mean, you're an academic All-American, so yes, you definitely right. enjoyed that. Yes. Well, I entered as a sophomore. Because I, of all the all AP, AP classes. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, that's why I said I knew I'd be fine wherever I went. So I entered as a sophomore. I started my master's a month after I graduated in three years and got the master's that last year. So, uh, yeah, no, I was academically, like, very— I, I, You're driven. I was very driven. I'm not, again, I'm not a genius, but I'm, I'm good enough that if the work, I'll close it on the work and the ethic, and, I, and I'll, I'll sacrifice. Yes, it was a blur. There are a lot of parties I didn't go to. There's a lot—I never had the, the classes that you could—you know, the whole freshman year classes where people are, like, half asleep. I went right into sophomore-level honors classes where— I have no idea what they're talking about on like folklore and anthropology and, you know, sociology. It just, 
And we'd miss all these classes because of travel and I'd have to go to two of their sessions and just stuff like that. Um, yeah, so college was different for that reason. But yeah, no, I was a good student. So now how has it been then for you if you start falling into love with journalism, doing yeah. the magazine writing and stuff? Yeah. But you're in PR. Isn't yeah. there a clash between well, journalism and publicists? Well, that's what my master's was difficult because you sit in journalism and they talk about PR flax like they are just <laughs> the devil. That's right. Yeah, they're just dirt on the bottom of your shoe. And then you get into PR. And the, I, I remember sitting there. Actually, I can still see in my head when I raised my hand and said, you know, I just came out of our undergrad program in journalism. And the way you're talking about <laughs> journalists right now is the exact like exactly how they talk about publicists. And she said, that is the great yin and yang of our industry, Carrie, mm -hmm. the push-pull. But they need us, and for them to say they don't. And it's true. I, you know, So do they? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Except unless you're an investigative journalist. But even then, we are, you know, at, at companies, we are the means by which there's access to information. We're the records mm -hmm. keepers. We know where content is. We can service you images. Like, not a lot of places, not a lot of stories can get written without that stuff. And um, But I really do believe, and I always say, in PR, like my job is, is to serve journalists and, and to get them what they need. I really believe in journalism. I believe we need them. They are in so much danger now. Like I, I donate, you know, to causes that, you know, try to keep us at a place of, um, you know, unbiased reporting and, and, and journalists thriving and the industry supported. I, I, I worked as one. I mean, when I worked at the NCA for three and a half years, I was a writer and editor. I covered Title IX hearings, like all the principles of sourcing and reporting. And, you know, even though it was for a membership paper, I still had to do all those things. And um, so, yeah, I really believe in it. So I respect that, the heck out of them. And I, I so believe in it. But I also know what my job is as, as a publicist and as, you know, a PR person and it means that I don't have to give you everything because I know that your job is, yeah, I got to work for it. it. Yeah, that's right. That's the thing I say, like, oh, you got the wrong person. I know exactly what your job is. I did it. Uh, yeah, which a lot of us are. We used to do. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. And it was great to get those both paid for. It was nice to come out yes, of school. Because I was gassed. School, no... I was mentally gassed. At the thought of going to school again, like, I couldn't That's even. That's why I didn't go to I grad thought, school. Yeah, I yeah, I had an opportunity to be a grad assistant basketball coach. And I was like, I, I can't do I it. I can't out. go to school anymore. I was. I remember thinking, I've just got to hold on a little longer to get off this, like, once you get in those AP classes from like the ninth or the tenth grade, you go to honors classes. But then once you're in those AP classes, which are college classes, from that until my end of my master's, like no, that's a long time, exhausting. Yes, I thought I can never go back. I can yeah, never you gotta, go back. To new, you got to have a new chapter yeah. in your yeah. life, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't even in those type of classes, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm done. I was done. I was it. done with the whole like high high speed education, you know, intake of so much information and, and performing at a high level. Yeah. Well, and you know? you're doing it on both yeah, athletically and, pressure, and academically. And I mean, that, that's a tough. I uh, could not let people down. There's no way all of a sudden you're going to be a senior. And yeah, that's when I got the Academic All-American. But, you know, what am I going to just fall off senior year and like let everybody at Syracuse? That's not your style. No, <laughs> I, it would be so disappointed and it would be yeah. embarrassing to me. And my, so it's just, yeah, like I just wanted the pressure off when yeah. I got out. And then, of course, I get the job at the NCA, which was I felt the pressure to get a great job. Like everyone's like, where are you going to wind up? And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know. You know, I, I, I didn't actually put that pressure too much on myself. It seemed to be everybody else. Everybody it's, else was asking you? Uh, expecting me to because yeah. I had a, uh, my master's. I finished it at Nike. And everyone's like, oh, you're going to stay at Nike? And I'm like. I don't know, you know, and I felt like, oh, gosh, I have to have some really cool job. It can't just be like a widget factory. I can't just do PR for like 
paper, you know? I, you know, I, I kind of think of Dunder Mifflin. You know, they're at a paper. Like, they're selling paper. That's not I, sexy. No, no, it's, yeah. No. And, 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 and somehow I wound up at the NCA, but I didn't think I would. I didn't think I'd get a cool job. So did you feel that that was a cool job? I felt like it was cool enough. Yeah. People uh, left me alone after that. Like, like it, there was a prestige to it. Oh, yes. Yeah. There definitely still is. Even today, yeah. NCAA, granted, you know, obviously there's controversy around NCAA and how they Of course, there always is. There always, yeah, there as, probably always will as be. As long as I can have been alive. Yes. There, there's always been issues. But it's still, it's that level. Oh, NCAA. Right, right. Right. Now, ESPN is even much <laughs> bigger than that. Why ESPN? Uh, Why did you? Because being, working at the NCAA was like being in a straitjacket. For my personality, it was really like conform or yeah, it, it, like yeah. There's a rigidity there that is not. And and I loved my bosses and my my actual team, like our director, my boss, and I loved my team, our sense of humor and all those things, but. In the NCA, it's like if you work in communications, you can never work in any other department. If you're in championships, you're the, the queens and kings of the institution. If you work in enforcement, you know, you have a special pass. Only you can get to that part of the building. Like you're kind of like the FBI. You're like uber cool Secret <laughs> Service talking into your wrist, yeah, exactly. you know. And, special key cards. Right. And so I'm coming up with all these projects. I'm thinking, oh, God, there's all these things we can do. I was a student athlete. Why don't we address, you know, this issue that – you know, catastrophic injury. What about athletes that have families? Like all these, you know, and I, they let me do all that writing and all that kind of stuff. But anytime I would try to, you know, well, I can go do championships. They'd loan me out to do it. Like, no, it's it just, and I was like, never been somewhere where people are going, yeah, but you can't do that. Like, but why? Well, it's just not done. That's you know, just that, the way it's done. Right. Or it's not done that way. Right. We don't do that. That kind of thing. And I'm, I mean, that ridiculous right and so um yeah you are the kid that was crawling over a fence yeah, at yeah. two years old you don't want to be well, <laughs> tied up in boundaries yeah, you have to be really into hierarchy and you know the kissing of the ring i think in a certain regard and my parents unfortunately you know it's, it's not always been the best but like they they my mother would say you don't give respect to anyone who doesn't give it to you Instead of a lot of which is you respect authority, you respect whatever. So it makes it really hard when you're like, you know, just so taking it on the chin. Again, yes. Yeah. And it's like the only reason you're not allowed to speak in this meeting or this is because you – your title or this – like that's ridiculous. And the, to me, those are antiquated views. And, uh, and having come from Nike where it was like everyone's energy and everyone's thought was contributed, I already had that to compare it to. So uh, – you know, and I gotta say there were great people. I got good times, but like in terms of growth and where you could go and kind of the fitting into this, it yeah, just wasn't, wasn't for me. It just wasn't. I knew it, and so it took me like a year to get out of there. I felt like it was the Hotel California. I was like, I got in, and now I can't get can't out get of this out. place. There's how no door. I, how, I, I should be, you know, tripping over offers, and it was actually because how do you translate committee liaison work? Right, it's actually not a real job in the world. Right, like committee liaison is not a job that people hire you for. Like in a wide, you know, a wide uh, industry of that, it's there's jobs in there that are like being an enforcement person. You're not actually. In the FBI, you're not actually an officer or an S. Yeah. You're enforcement for a very specific rule of bylaws. Like, what job is it? You're not SEC compliance. You're not going to get hired at a financial yeah, where does that translate? But where does it translate? So there's very, very specific jobs. And uh, so that's what I learned. Um, but I decided, well, why don't I go try my master's? 
you know, my, my PR. PR. Yeah, I mean, I could try that. Because uh, as long as it let me do writing. So I was just writing. And uh, so I called Coach Beheim, who I had I had been his assistant one summer and been close to the family and babysat the kids. And Syracuse is such a family, just such a family. And I said to him, I'd never pulled the Beheim card. I'd never asked him for a lot of recommendation, never. But this time I said, do we know anybody that you think I could talk to about where to go? I don't know how to get out of the NCAA. And I knew he hated the NCAA. So I was like, yes. he's got, yeah, he <laughs> was, course. all I had to say was, I need to get out of this place. And he was like, I'm your man. I'll like, get you out of yeah, there. I'm the one. And yeah, he said, I know this guy, Johnny Wildhack. That's what he said, it, Johnny Wildhack. And um, I said, sure, I, I'd love, you know, so he he connected me with him, gave him his number. And uh, I would just ask him, like, what do you think? Like, where where would this translate? Whatever. And John was at ESPN at the time, and his fiance was in our department, uh, PR department. Um, and uh, when an opening came, I applied and, and had Syracuse, you know, my people call from my, my behalf and went through the whole interview process and got a senior publicist job because I had my master's. They counted that, you know, and all that. But uh, And John's now that AD at Syracuse. He was the number two at ESPN until he left for Syracuse. So he was at ESPN his entire career since he left Syracuse. He was there for, I want to say, 34 years, 40 years, something like, 34 years. So isn't that like a weird kind of – It is. The circle, the, how right? it stays now he's, connected. And now he's – Jim's boss, which is yeah. really funny. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I got out. And then I got in there. And I remember when I was trying to, uh, my going away party at the NCA, every time I walked through the halls, people go, and I was like, oh, God. Yeah. I didn't really like, but I wasn't looking to go to ESPN. I was just looking for a job. It was an opportunity to get out. Yeah. And like, where can I go that would be a good company? something that you felt you would enjoy. Yes, that I would enjoy, that I could translate my skills, that I'd be an asset with what I've worked on for the last three and a half years, you know. Uh, um, there's there's a very finite time when you're starting out in your career. There's a few years you get to play with, but then you start to kind of get in your lane. You kind of pigeonholed. You know, you start. To, you know, I've been doing this for five or six years. It's really hard to be like, oh, I'm going to go do finance or I'm going to go do that. You know, and uh, I wasn't. I didn't feel like I needed to leave the space of being around sports. I wasn't looking to reinvent the wheel, um, but I could have, I guess. I was only three and a half years at the NCA, but it, like I said, it was very specific. And yes. I don't know that that translates to Macy's or, you know, all these other companies. They're like, what exactly Well, it's is a little that? more difficult to, to get the opportunities because people will view you in that yes. specific role as well. Absolutely. That, oh, well, you don't have any other skill sets that well, will that's translate. What I've, so what I've been doing these last 10 or 11 years is working on, um, you know, I'm very interested in women and girls uh, advancing their rights and equality. And I work on gender-based violence in my time away from ESPN. It's been very close to my heart. I've been a rape crisis counselor for years. I am president of an org that helps Americans assaulted overseas. Um, And I've been working on that because really they'd be like, but your sports, you know, like it, 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 I've been just chipping away at it for years. <laughs> and now I'm finally going, and I speak around the country, but now I just did a, a moderator job for the UN um, Population Fund in Nairobi in November. Um, I got invited to do that. I spoke out on a UN panel celebrating International Day of the Girl up in New York in October. That's the space I'm jazzed about, and that's where I want to be. But to get there, it, you know, you kind of have to, it takes longer. 
it this does. age, at this age, in 20 years in the, in the business, I, I 11 years I've been spending trying to like acquire the knowledge, get in the spaces um, and get past people going, well, what are you doing here? You know, these are all, a lot of them are PhDs, academics, they're technical specialists, they work in the global south and they're looking at me going, you've never been to Africa. Like, what are we going to do with you? You've never worked in a, you know, in a camp or done research. Why would, you know, so. Uh, yeah, what can you bring to the table? I've been experiencing it. Yeah, I, I imagine you what have. What we're talking about, but I'm finally there. Uh, I, I'm finally kind of like getting in there. So the snowball is starting to happen. It is because there's a steam. lot of sports re- partnerships they have. The UNFPA, like it's the world. So they're, they're, the panel I hosted was all these teams around the world that are giving gender equality commitments and taking on campaigns. You know, it was a, a team in a soccer team in Tbilisi, Georgia, um, one in the Ukraine uh, on my panel, uh, New York rugby, rugby, the professional team in, you know, um, yeah, Afghani soccer players. So it's there. That is my, you know, so now I think I can marry both. You can. And I am. But it it took a really long time. And so, uh, yeah, you again, I just think if you you focus your discipline and you just keep working at it and working at it and coming at it from every angle, you can you can get past that. But you got to be patient. So and I think sports helps teach you that, though, right? It does. Well, yeah. Come at something from every angle and From keep every trying. angle, yeah. especially from you. Just you you, you talked it. about yes. how you watch tape. It's yes. preparation. How can I view this in a different way? How All can the different, I, right, to make up for angles. what you lack. Like, whatever you're missing in your toolkit, there's a – I think most things, like – you know, I think certain things you can't like. I'm not going to ever jump 40 right. inches. Like that's just I needed someone else's legs. Yeah, yes. you're like, but okay, yes, jumping's great. But if I know where that person's going to hit, like, or where their block is, I can hit around it. Like you know that kind of thing. You can compensate for and other things. The same with this work. Going okay. Well, I know what. The, well, I have 10 years of direct victim services experience. So I don't have a PhD in this, but. Most of them don't have 10 years experience because they were busy getting their PhD. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. So I would kind of go, well, how can I get at this? What do these people have in their toolkits? Well, I can't do that. I'm not going to leave my job and go do a PhD, you know, at that time. And I don't think ever. But, but uh, you know, what, what can I um, – how, how's another way to get at it? And uh, so, yeah, I'm enjoying that part of my life now. At, as When you get to your, your 40s, it's about uh, – they talk about the second career. The career that you went into because you didn't know any better because you're yes. like, well, I studied this. I should go into this, blah, blah, blah. And then you pick your head up and go, am I passionate about this? Not really. Do I – I don't really – I don't pray at the altar of athletes. I don't. I don't care how famous or whatever. I just don't <laughs> care. Um, I like the work and I like my people. I like writing and speaking and doing that. But So where I am now is like a very interesting time in my life. Well, I'm a few years ahead of you uh, yeah. because not many. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I got a yeah. few years on you. I've got a, a good skincare routine. So, well, just from the standpoint of, I read a book called Halftime by Bob Buford, and it talks about that. That a lot of times you get caught up in getting down a path, and you don't yeah. realize it that it's not what you really want to do. It's, it's not, not where your heart is. It's not where your heart is. It's not meaningful. And that's what happened to me when I got out of coaching. That's where my heart was, sports, coaching, and into pharmaceutical and medical device sales. And then I woke up yes, what am I doing? a little over 40 years old, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, wait a second. This is not what I thought my career path was going to be. And so it was really the genesis of starting the podcast. And That's now, awesome. you know, almost three years into it, I'm, I'm still like – I joke with my wife – 
well, I don't, I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, yeah. you know, because I think you, a lot you, of people are going through that. It, and it's crazy how that happens. A lot of people going back to school, a lot of people doing kind of the gig economy, yes. you know, leaving their jobs to go, you know, do flower shop or crafts. Or I just, know. Yeah. Just something that your, yeah. your heart gets Well, we don't teach up. that in school. We talk we about don't. a job, but we don't talk about a career. Exactly. How to have a career and how to have... You know, pe- like it, do this thing called life. That's right. right. Yeah. So it's that our educational system is not. Well, they're missing out on so many uh, things. And one of the things I feel also is that they don't prepare you enough to really understand how valuable mentors all are, stuff, all, yeah. connections, networking, all of that. It's like, oh, you just got to be laser focused, go get a job. And, and it's do weird hard because work. we're the ones that fund them. Like we pay them to go there. We should, you would think, be able to <laughs> shape the so. curriculum. Right. Like I always say to kids when I talk, I said, you know, you go to school, you do all this, but, you know, you marry the wrong person too soon. You have a child before you mean to, whatever. All this is out the window. That's right. You know, all of a sudden, I you, know, you have friends who married at 25. They're in a battle. Their money, like, you know, it doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't. Nobody told them how to handle this, how to pick a partner, how to navigate, you know, single mother. Like, those are the things that are life. And colleges really doesn't, it doesn't it teach doesn't you life. All. No, it and does so not. And so you have your degree and, and what are you going to, like, I know Kanye West did this song. What was it? He said, I got, you know, you can get your papers, but I like live in life or something. Yes. That's back when I listened to him. But, um, <laughs> but I think that's what he was saying. It's okay. Well, you've got this technical award, but you don't know how to do X, Y, and Z. And I think all of us are at that deficit. All of us, uh, I said, oh, God, I wish someone would have taught me how to, you know, pick a partner or how to navigate what, you know, I would, I would, was attacked uh, when I was in my early 30s. I went through an assault overseas and how to how to navigate that. And and someone will say, well, that's just life. We can't accommodate for all those things. But I think there's general themes in terms of unexpected trauma, how to work through trauma. I mean, that's the that is actually the theme, trauma. Like we all are on, at some point we are We all face some type yes, of trauma. No one's unscathed. That's right. Nobody. By a certain age someone has lost someone they love, someone's been hurt horribly, someone has, you know, died, been sick, like all these things. And we're all just like the walking wounded. And I can sit here and tell you how to write a press release, but how how to, you know, be resilient and, and get back emotionally level set is, like, you know, we're all just trying to figure it out in a self-help help section at the bookstore. You know, they still have bookstores. And it's very it difficult to navigate all of that because yeah. there's a lot of noise out there too. And, oh, so much noise. And I try to tell my kids in terms of when I'm talking to you and giving you advice and some guidance, it's not from a perspective of that I'm talking down to you, that yeah. I'm better than you, that I haven't experienced it. It's just the opposite. It's because I've lived life longer than you have and yeah. I've experienced all certain things, things, you know, and trying to to help guide them. Now, the other thing that I think is unique and you touched on it and especially with where your passion is uh, right now because the experience that you have and then just the personal experience that you mentioned, yeah. the, the assault in yeah, Rome. Yeah, I was attacked on the last night of my vacation. I It was just a – they call it a brief encounter attack. Uh, it wasn't a total stranger. It was someone I met earlier um, with like a – local cafe person that we'd gotten to know. I was over there for a few days, you know, and uh, I love traveling and meeting people and hearing their stories. And anyhow, um, so this particular individual, um, you know, tried to rape me. He locked me in a a six-floor apartment when I tried to exit. 
Um, and I'd been very clear that I wasn't interested, you know, obviously in a sexual encounter with, with someone I didn't know. But um, So that, you were setting boundaries? Oh, from the from start. From the beginning. Literally from the start. Like, I was like, I'll go out with you, but just please know, I do not want to sleep with you. Because at 32 or 31 at the time, I'm very I'm very easy to say that. You know, I think kids still kind of, ooh. Ooh, when yeah, I talk to the college kids, they're like, it, I'm yes. like, why can you not say it? They're like, ooh, <laughs> but they'd rather do anything but actually say I don't want to do this. Yes, I do want to, you know, uh, no, no problem at 31. And so I thought, oh, I checked the box. I had a curfew. My friend knows where I am. Like, I did all the things. And then you realize, like, none of that works. None of that actually cares. If someone's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm still going to do this all thing. All well and good. Yeah, we don't but it teach, gets thrown out the window. We don't teach people what to do when someone rejects your, your no. That's the huge default in all this talk about rape prevention. Because I'll say, okay, I'll say to you right now. So someone, you're say you have a daughter and... You've told her all these things, and and the guy says to her, "No, I'm going to rape you now." What, what would you suggest you do? Uh, yell, fight back, do something. Fight back, yeah. Fight back. You might kill her. It might have escalated the situation. I don't know what else to say. Right? Isn't that sad? It is sad because mm-hmm. that breaks my heart. Because you don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to my own daughter. Right. And what you have to say to them is, you'll know in that moment what's what's right for you. Because my own sister will say, I would just be very quiet and say, do what you need to do. Just don't kill me. I have kids. You know, that's what Kim, I think that's what Kim Kardashian did when she was in in Paris, when she got um, locked up and robbed. She said, I have kids. Do leave me. You know, she wasn't sitting there swinging at anybody. Um, It's this is this deficit in how we talk to people about this crime. And so. There I am, and uh, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna fight. This is gonna be awful. I don't want to go through this. I, I can't. I can't. I, I don't want to go through this. This is gonna hurt so bad, and I'm gonna fight." So you remember in your mind? Oh, I remember everything. This was yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you knew. Um, yeah, you were thinking. I would rather die. I would rather die than than let this person do this. And then that was just me. So again, it's 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 really personal. Yes, it's very personal. To and each individual, how yes, because for me to respond. be brought to submission by a guy physically. Based on what I've told you. Yes, from your history. Can you not understand why it was just not – my response was like, hell no. Like like that would – it was a sense of self-preservation because I knew if that happened, I think you, I would I – would, you would break my spirit. I don't think I'd ever recover from that. I knew what I had at stake. Yeah, if this guy did that if to you. If this guy did that to me, I would never recover because – it, it would upend everything I thought about myself. And so I fought and it was awful, but I did well. And, you know, I jumped off a balcony and climbed down all these buildings and got away. And then, then I pressed charges and hired an attorney and all that. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really, uh, it was, and the thing that I, the, the pivotal point in all of that, I knew I did nothing wrong. It was so, it was so ridiculous. I was like, I knew I, I did nothing wrong here, like nothing. But what I did beat myself up about was like, what if I had just not – If what if I had just trusted my gut more, you know? And like what if I – Was there a moment that you felt something in yeah, your gut? Yeah, well, yes, because I didn't really date much. So when he was just like, well, why don't you come, you know, come – It was his apartment was only two blocks from my hotel. And it was almost to my curfew. I had like 20 minutes. I said, oh, let's go sit on the Spanish steps. He said, no, why don't you come back? I'll show you. I'd already been up there earlier. We'd seen it. He was – he has this big view of the cathedral and – it was a whole conversation we had. I don't bore you with. But anyhow, I had seen it. So I wasn't like afraid to go to the space and I knew how close by it was. So I didn't feel the fear. It wasn't like I couldn't get back from there or anything. But I did have a moment like I don't really want to go. I'm tired. And if I just listened, but instead I felt like I was being rude. 
And this is what they call like the disease to please. They they tell like I don't like to. I didn't want to be rude to him. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. We'd had a nice night, and I felt like I was being a jerk. I felt like I was being over. A lot of girls go, well, I don't want to be a jerk, but, like, I don't want to go in that apartment with you because I don't know you. And then, like, the guy gets offended, or they feel like, oh, so you're saying I'm a rapist. Like, this is awful position we put women in. And basically, when you say to someone, oh, no, 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 I spent a whole night with you, like, around, but I don't want to be near you. Like, it introduces this element where you wind up feeling like the biggest jerk. And like, you're the bad guy. Yeah, the bad guy. Yes. And I remember his face like I was insulting him. And I'm like, my bad. Oh, sure. I'll go there. And I just I would just beat myself. Carrie, why did you do that? Why were you so weak? You're such a tough kid here, here, and here. Why are you so – that's what I was like destroying myself about on the perfection. Like why were you – it wasn't about – it was never about clarity on – if I invited it or anything, that bullshit. But it was really the lack of perfection in being who I was. And do you feel you let your own self down? That's what I was upset with myself for. Because I had set the boundary, done all the things. And I'm like, why would, you know, and that was my own private hell that I wasn't sharing with people. Um, I was giving that everyone's like, you're so strong. You're so tough. Look at how badass you are. You did all these things. And so I wasn't going to sit there and be like, well, actually. But like inside, I was like, God, I cannot believe you are dealing with this right now. Like, I cannot believe you, you just, if you would just not, like, you know, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have lawyers in Milan. You wouldn't be trying to go through your IRA account to see if you can pay for it. Like, if you had just been perfect, none of this, this mess. This upsetting your family, upsetting your friends, upsetting your work. Like, yes, like if you had just not been made this, like it just, yeah. And that's when you, you know, you you crash and then you wind up at a therapist's office. That's how that happens. And and then they start working with you. Yeah, dissecting what was the core Has this served you? Does this thought serve you? No, it does not. Why didn't you say anything? Because you have a need to please people to make them happy, which I did. How I make them happy is by behaving well and being perfect at things, you know, and all that. It it all comes home to roost at some point, too. That's right. I mean, you can only keep it bottled up for so long. Right. And it it has to come out. Right. And that's how it kind of came to a head. And, And so I'm much nicer to myself now. Much nicer. How difficult was it to actually share that information? Because I know you've you've been very open about it, and I, uh, you know, telling people, and that that's part of your journey right now. I I, I have always felt okay talking about it. I, I don't. And 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 someone said to me, "Well, maybe if because he de- he didn't complete the rape," and I thought that might be true. I'll never know. You'll never know. I'll never know. That might be true, um, but. I have such a sense of what happened was so so a not my fault b horrific and how do I serve people? I can serve people by telling them exactly what's going to happen: that your body's going to shut down, that you're going to freeze, that you're going to feel like you're going to pee your pants in front of the person who's trying to harm you. That I I want them to know the things that might go through your mind. You know, I had the opportunity to hit him over the head with this bottle of rum that was on the table that he had purchased earlier in the evening when we were out. He had turned around, and I remember thinking, "Oh, I can get the shot off." I can get the shot. I can. I remember my left hand flinching to grab it, and I would have killed him. And then I thought, I will never make it out of Italy if I do that. He will be dead. He will not have raped me. And how will I explain? You're going to be able to prove that, yeah, right? That's what they. That's what. Let's extrapolate this to the current conversation. Yeah. Oh, you know, women should get guns and blah blah blah. I'm like, <laughs> we can't get them away for actual rape. Who is going to believe that you had to kill someone who didn't get a finger on you? 
to prevent the it's the stupidest idea and i knew amanda knox case was going on at that time and i thought i'll never get out of here coming and killed i just and it was and they're like you remember all that from your i was like oh my brain was like and that's amazing that because i know that's not a long period of time no but i was so lucid you're still able to have those type of thoughts alcohol in my body like i had had a wine way earlier in the evenings like you know i again I, i was really sick at the time i had bronchitis so that wasn't even really a, a factor, like, you know, drinking heavily. But um, I remember that, like, oh, I could kill him. And then later when I'm fighting for my life out on the patio, I'm like, why didn't I kill him? Why didn't I kill him? So it was just a very – and I tell people all those thoughts because, uh, oh, I could never kill someone. I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> I I was one of those people that said I couldn't kill someone and then it almost killed me. And then like – you know, I must obviously die. it changes your perspective. It changes my perspective, and I've I've heard you talk about too that uh, you think you know how you might respond. Oh, you do, yeah, but you don't. But you don't, no. right? No, you don't. no, no. This is there's the just other, no way this to is the replicate other lie. that. Listen, listen, you will not know until you're in mortal danger. Mortal danger is a very specific set of circumstances where you actually believe you're going to die. Someone's trying to kill you, and you believe death is about imminent. to happen. Imminent. You can't replicate that in any class. You can't think your way through it. What you can do with defense classes is think of like what you would do if you were locked in a room, what you would do like and, and keep thinking through those things. It helps you. So when you're in that instance, I thought of ways I need to get to an exit. If there's an exit available, take it. Like I remember that. But nobody can tell you how your body will respond. And a lot of people get the freeze. Um, I just actually went through a corporate training, uh, you know, for our, our company. We have these corporate trainings and talking about, you know, active shooters and stuff like that. There's nothing in the training that says, oh, by the way, your body might shut down and you might actually crack just your stop. pants. Like yes. your body is going to release everything because yes. you're terrified. Oh, there's plenty of stories of people in war that that happens well, to Well, that's them. where it comes from. That's where yeah. that term cra- – like that's literally where it comes from, war. It's the same thing. Your body under attack. That's what PTSD comes – that is a trauma. And the same thing about someone trying to rape or kill you, the same fear that you're, you're about to lose you know, your life – uh, most rape victims will say, I thought I was going to die. They all say that. And that's when the trauma comes in and then the PTSD after. And it's this ridiculous thing. Like even in the training I'm watching, I'm going, it's saying, oh, run, throw something or do this. I'm going, where's the part where it's like you are completely mobilized? Because what I want people to understand is know that that's probably going to happen and know what it is. Yes. Oh, that's what this is. Oh, this is a thing that's happening. That that helps. You know, I, I was going, what 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 is going on? Why can't I move? Carrie Potts, move your legs. Carrie Potts, why can't you? I, I was yelling at myself in my head, the refrain I did as an athlete. I couldn't move my body. And I was trying to get to that door to get out, but I couldn't get my legs to move. So when did it kick in? Adrenaline it or what happened? Did. It did. Yep. But I was fighting to keep all of my contents of my body in my body. I was like, am I going to like lose all of my waist? Like, right. I, I, it was the most embarrassing. Like, what is it's awful. Um, and then it just kicked in. Something just went. And I remember I felt like I always say I feel like I had the strength of 10 men or 10 women, 10 women. Um, and then I was like a fiend, like an absolute out of control, just like I will end him. I will get to that balcony. I will jump. I was punching him. I was knocking – like – and even when I was leaping down the buildings and, and jumping, I'm going 15 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, like – I remember some vague stinging in the front of my shins, but that's the only feeling I felt 
the only sensation because the, jump, the adrenaline. Yeah, was and I was jumping so far, the concrete was like going up through my shin. And that would anybody would feel agony from that. But all I could feel was just like a little tingle, you know? And you don't feel anything. Like it's the it's beautiful. Our bodies are so amazing. Amazing, aren't they? What they do. But the aftermath of that was like I couldn't move. The next day, my fingertips felt like they're broken. Every part of me, I would just cry and shake because I had bruises every – I mean, it's just – it was just – and my shoulder, everything was a mess. And um, so it was just one of those life moments and I feel like I felt such urgency to have to tell people about all that. I don't see that in a lot of these reports. We write about women and victims still very much like we're in a corner, you know, sucking our thumb. And and, and I mean that like like in a catatonic way. And I, I think they're trying to be sympathetic and stuff. Um, but it doesn't give you a lot of space for people like me. And so I was like, is this normal that I'm not like devastated? Like I'm pissed. Yeah, you're mad. I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm upset at what could have happened. But I'm like so mad. This is so unjust. And also, why didn't anyone tell me this about the freeze? Why didn't anyone tell me that when they say no to – I laid out all the boundaries and he still said no. Well, what the hell then? Like why aren't we telling people this? To this day, we don't tell them what to do. I ask – every time I ask, especially a father, okay, tell me what you're going to tell her to do. Oh, fight. Well, what about the freeze? What if – what if fighting is – he's – fighting incites them. Some of them, that, that, that's what is the difference between living and not. You know, um, it depends on the type. There's a sadistic type of rapist. There's, you know, the opportunistic type. And that might be the thing he's looking for. So you got to figure out how to answer that question. I would recommend everybody listening to this figure out how to answer that question. Please. Where can yeah. we find well, out that type of there's, information to help us get to an answer? Well, I mean, there's a lot of people who are, who've who've done research on this, but honestly, it kind of goes back to what I say. You have to say to your daughter, yourself, your wife, whatever, even you, your subject, anyone has a gun or you're asleep or incapacitated, you are susceptible to anything. Okay. And men are told, (laughs) that is the, like the lie that you guys all operate under. You know, you're as vulnerable (laughs) as anybody else. Look at our military. We have so many military men that suffer this crime. You will figure it out in that situation. Whatever it is that you do to survive is the right thing for you. Okay, and and that might mean your daughter says, "Dad, I just let him." But our courts punish you for that. Oh well, you didn't fight. You didn't fight. Oh, what am I going to do with a two hundred? My the guy was my guy was like seventy pounds heavier than me. What am I? What am I going to do in that scenario? Oh, so I'm going to die? Am I going to break? What would you like to see? You know, it, it. You wouldn't be there if he wasn't threatening you. You wouldn't lay down if you didn't think you were going to die. Like our. Our laws say that's the threat. That's yes, the physical. That's th- right. But people, juries and everyone wants to see markings. And so many people have the freeze and just please stop. And 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 we're so horrible to them for that. We want what they saw with me. And so I do have guilt about that when I talk. I try to say to people, please know, I know my case is very, very different than a lot. And I'm not here to wave myself around with you. What I'm here to talk to you about is this other stuff. Like, don't ever think you have to jump over buildings and hand fight a guy like you're not me you're not angry like i am you're not big like i am and you're not like so overconfident in my body like i am you know and you know so i'm careful about that because i don't want people to think that's the only way 
or that's the right way. You will know in that instance. In that moment. Your brain and your body will tell you. And you have to, as, as a person supporting him, you have to be okay with whatever that looks yeah, like. exactly. But people say, why did you fight? Why did you, well, why did you, why would you lay there? Why would you, you know, like, and it's. And I imagine there's people that are shamed. Of course. To that point. They are. That, you, I didn't you can't fight. tell I didn't, you didn't fight. Right. What are you thinking? You right. got to get out of well, that situation. Well, because that's what we reward. Oh, they're the, they rewarded me. Oh, she's such a badass. You're so, oh God, Carrie, how'd you, you know, like, we're not saying it to the people. God, you survived. Congratulations. You got through that. We don't, we don't give them that. And that's the majority by far. So that, and we fall down on that too. I mean, I could go on that for hours, yeah. but anyhow, sports. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, was there, have you ever thought about that, you know, when this adrenaline kicks in and you've got this. Well, now, I knew what that was. I knew what it is when I adrenaline kicks in. You, I trust yes. my body because I know I've been in those. Been in sports. Yes. I've when been in that, matches where yes. you get that. There's actually a video of it. One of our matches against Pittsburgh was like almost three hours. This is before rally scoring when we had side out scoring. So a match could last three and a half hours. Yeah. Just keep going. Five games, three and a half hours. And you're just on fumes. And I remember I wanted to end that match. And I, there's this thing. You just see me like, give me the ball. And like, it's a burning sensation all the way. I'm on fire. Like, if you took my temperature, it would be jacked, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like a fiend, I would say. And I know what that feeling is. And so I remember a moment going, I know what this is. Like, I cannot ever replicate that level of adrenaline. Like, when you think you're going to die. Like, it's it's way more than sports. Like, it's... It's what it should be. It should never be something other used than used for that moment, yeah, right? That, yes, yes, exactly. Reserved um, just for that. Just for that. And I think that uh, I remember going, oh, yeah, I know what this is. Like, I, I know this feeling, like the shaking that comes. So that shaking was the adrenaline starting to go through because I was standing there looking at him and I was just like this. And it was the adrenaline just firing through. And all of a sudden I was like, and Boom, just went at him. And yeah, and I remember going, oh, I know what this is. And I think a lot of people who don't train their bodies through sports, who don't have that advantage, don't know what that is. It's horrifying. Your body's like emptying. And I would imagine it just magnifies the point of, well, I just got to freeze because I don't know what's happening. Yes. Yes. Because you're just getting confused. Yes, you're you're confused. You don't understand what's going on, and you don't trust yourself. Like I, I trust my body. I trust myself more than I trusted him to let me out of that that space. I can imagine. I thought I can do this. I can climb. There's space close together. This is not skyscrapers. These are all old houses. I can dive, jump, roll. You know, I can I can do this. I think I can. You know, and that was a confidence that you get from sports. And that's what I say sports saved my life because it taught me how to believe in my body and myself and my strength and taught me how to think about navigating spaces. You know, gymnastics, I know how to roll. I know how to hit the floor without actually hurting myself. And that's that carried on into volleyball. I know how to go up and hit a, th- uh, you know, a ball hard and then pull my body back so I don't make a net violation. I know how to control my abdomen. I know how to, you know, those were all the things that came into play that night. And I, I think I am so grateful for that. I don't know what the outcome would have been. If you don't have high body confidence and don't trust and know how you're going to react and what you're capable of, then that's not an option available to you. What that's I right. Did. And again, I think that just yeah. you freeze. Yeah. Even more so. Now, have you thought about also just in terms of, you know, we all have different pathways and journeys and again, how some are positive, some are negative, but it's how you utilize those for other things, just like you're doing now. Have you thought about that? What you went through was part of your journey, so oh, you could be on yeah, no, this I don't worry. mission I, now of what you're doing. I remember exactly where I was 
in the street after the police had brought me back to show them where I had entered the building and maybe where I'd exited, which I was struggling to figure out. And there was a bunch of things that happened, but it was it felt like divine intervention. There were just inexplicable things that happened, a series of things that happened in that 24-hour period that you couldn't – you can't explain. You, you cannot explain. And I remember looking up at the sky and saying to God, I said, oh, I got it. Yeah, you want me to sound the alarm. I remember saying that. And I was walking with the probably six or seven police, like plain clothes, back to the cars. Um, it became very clear that God wanted me to – I would say it's like being waterboarded to the point of drowning but not. Like he brought me right up to the edge to see what it's like to have someone – ignore your boundaries, what it's like to have someone terrorize you, what it's like to believe this is about to happen I'm gonna, or I'm going to die, um, and what it's like to deal with the police and go through questioning and have witnesses who didn't at first want to come forward because they didn't want to get involved in the bureaucracy there and like, you know, and then not, not have me raped. So he preserved my ability to go on in life, you know, like not, ha- you know, not have me unjust, like, like I got – Marco wrote, yeah, I did this. He pled guilty. You know, so I got the thing that most no one ever gets, right? So that I could go and tell people these things and then I could go do the work. And it's so obvious. And anyone would tell you that. It's so obvious. I was always, I've always had big broad shoulders. I'm the one to do this work. I am the right temperament and toughness, um, but with enough sensitivity because of what I experienced. And yeah, so it was exactly as it was supposed to be. God built you for this. Right, because if you I, could handle it. Right. But if I had been raped in that way, I would not be Maybe here. Maybe it would have been different. I would not be here. It would have just, it, it, and, and that's why that couldn't happen, you know? And, and I, be, yeah. I think I don't think I would have survived that emotionally. I would not have survived that. It would have just shattered everything. And um, and I think God, you know, obviously God knows that too. So and 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 I have to say, I, I say God because like I I grew up a Lutheran, um, but you know, when you get older, it's like I go on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm from New York, so it's different down here in the South. But uh, um, but I always just talk to God. I always had this very like. We, we yeah, have a conversation every day. I'm like, listen, yes. listen, what is going on? And, <laughs> and so that, you know, but when you're in a place like Rome, it's so ever present. Like you feel like angels are just flying everywhere. Like, like, like it was like the show, <laughs> right? Think about it. You, you step in there, you're like, oh my God, there's angels everywhere. Um, everything about that was just so, I'm certain. I mean, I'm certain that, that what happened to me was for all the things that have come after. And, um, and I don't, you know, I don't. I'm very careful about speaking about, you know, organized religion and all that because victims are of all all types. I will never want someone not talk to me, trust me, because I'm this and not that it, because it doesn't care. It doesn't care. And so when I say speak to God, everyone has a God, they, you know, most unless you're atheist, which is fine, too. But, yeah, so I, I, I do believe that, that, that I was called to do the work. And oh, It's an amazing story. It, it, it really is. Crazy. is. It, One and, day I will write. I've been working on like a book about it because there's so much I never tell people because it just never fit in this conversation. You know, I could go on for hours about it, every detail. Uh, even in that magazine I article so. I wrote, they cut out so much because they had to get it on four pages, you know. And so, yeah, I, someday. Yeah, I don't even know if you could confine it even. No. To, I mean, I know it's just so ever present. I've had people try to buy my life, right? Like several times. And, uh, I was like, no, I'm the only one that's going to tell this story. 
you know, I don't want, when you have to sign a life rights thing, it's like, oh, well, we can replace you. We can make you a man. We can make you a, you know, this, this, and this. We could, I'm like, no. No, that's not your No, why would journey. I sign that's that? That's not your story. I said to woman, if you take that out, I will sign it. Oh, well, no, no, then no. No. I don't need any creative assistance in telling the story. It tells itself. It does tell itself. It does. If you know all the, or most of it, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was just like last year. I got, I, every time someone comes at you with that, you have to hire an entertainment attorney and look through the contract and then send, you know. And I finally just said, I'm going to do it. So I'm working on the book. Okay. Well, we'll have another podcast <laughs> yes. when the book comes yes. out. Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> One last question. Sure. I'm big words of wisdom type of person. Mottos, quotes, phrases, just life advice. Do you have anything that has meant a lot to you? There's two. Okay. And one is my mother's that I, I have borrowed. And the other one is is a, a poem that always really connected with me when I was little by Christopher Marlowe. And um but my, my mom's first one is to thine own self be true. I really you become who you are as you get older. And I really am feeling to thine own self be true with what we're talking Especially about. Especially as you get older. With you doing this yes. podcast. That's the to thine own self be true. And the other one is it, there's a, a poem and it's my mind to me a kingdom is there in perfect joy I do find. And uh, I travel by myself. I just went to Montreal actually just to have some downtime. I went to London in the beginning of the year. Like my mind to me, I, I enjoy the inner, my inner world. I love history. I love reading. I travel and I will go without talking to anyone for seven or eight days. And <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really good on my own and I like myself. Like I like what I have to say. Fascinated by it. No. Um, but you can I, entertain your own self. Right, right. But I loved that was the thing. The kids in high school were all doing the, you know, the social strata and the this and the that. And I was perfectly happy. You know, my mind to me came there in perfect joy. I'm peaceful. I, I like myself. I, I when people say, Why did you why do you go on vacation by yourself? I'm like, <laughs> I need that. I mean, there I was in London on the shore with a bottle of red, <laughs> chocolate, cheese, a book on Richard III, and a blanket by the water. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, what? That's what? heaven for you. Isn't that good? <laughs> this is so good. You know? So that's the other thing I always think and go, to this day, it, is, it has never been more true. Well, how important it is to know your own self. People do a lot of things to not have to spend time with themselves. They do a lot of out with other people. They don't want to be a. Because they they feel that that's what they have to do. There's there's something you don't want to address. I believe that's fine. You can be a people person, but I just think if you're that terrified of like spending time with yourself, like there's a therapist for that. (laughs) I probably know them. Gary, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope I was helpful. I just rambled. 100%. Okay. I know it's supposed to be a conversation. So, yeah. Yes, it was a great conversation. Good. I've learned a lot, and I greatly appreciate you being so open and honest. Thank you for being interested in having me. I saw your list. It's a, it's a knockout roster. Well, now it is with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Highest engagement ever. The biggest star ever, Gary Potts, thank on the Rich you. Take on Sports Podcast. That's right. Gary, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, most of us will never have to learn how we would respond in the face of imminent danger like Carrie did that night. But what an amazing story of survival and just how unique it was that something that she has always loved, sports, that physical movement, and the understanding of how her body moves, that would ultimately, as Carrie described, 
helps save her life. And it's clear that she's uniquely built to carry this torch to help so many other victims while always being true to herself. Now that finishes episode 131 and more of our conversations can be found on your preferred podcasting platform. And you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 